0: Welcome to the Book Evangelist podcast. Here to spread the good news that books and reading will save us all. Lisette and Marion will be talking about what's up in their reading and writing lives, reviewing recent reads, urging each other on to writing triumph and generally wallowing in the pleasure of hanging out with a friend who loves books. Join us. Wallow with us. This is episode 19, in which we will be discussing cozy mysteries. Good morning, Lissa.
1: Good morning, Marian. Gosh. (laughs) So, this isn't what we were supposed to talk about today. No,
0: we're supposed to be... We said we were going to discuss The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. And uh, the reason... We're not going to be discussing that this time is that I, I really feel like I've led you uh, down the garden path. Here we discussed what trouble we were both having reading and kind of to break that. And then I lured us into reading a book that's like 800 pages long. So it's really good. It's really good. I am on chapter 51. I think I'm a little
1: ahead of you. Um, my copy, I ordered it from a local bookstore and they... Um, delivered it to my doorstep on um, New Year's Eve, magically, uh, like at six o'clock on New Year's Eve. And I jumped right into it that night. Um, And then the rest of the year, I got distracted reading other stuff. Um, But I've really, I've really loved it. I didn't put it down because I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. I just didn't pick it up again very often because I picked up other things. I've been reading it in
0: little bits and chunks as I go, and I have the physical copy of it, and I've been reading the ebook copy of it from my local library, and I checked out the audiobook, but I have not listened to that. I've just been reading it. But it's taking me forever because it's it's so interesting that it makes me want to go and research other things. Yeah. Like, like at this point, Winston Churchill's where I am, Winston Churchill's daughter, Mary, it has a room, uh, her bedroom at Checker's, which is the weekend house of British Prime Ministers and still is and they're talking about this room of hers it was always called the prison room because Lady Jane Grey's sister Mary Grey was imprisoned there after she married a guy that secretly without Queen Elizabeth the first permission you should never do that yeah and then it was like how she was really really short like four feet tall And the guy she married was six foot eight. And I had to stop and go research the entire life of Mary Gray and see if I could find any pictures of the room, which I could not, which was a bummer. But so that really slows me down. I read three pages and then I have to go and stop and research for an hour (laughs) because the internet is always there with more information for me.
1: So I have not gone to research more, but I did re-listen to part of connie willis's blackout because i was just then in the mood to think about the blitz um and then i just have to stop and like think about it yeah um even if i don't go track down more information i need time to like process like wow what would that feel like to be because he does such a good job of putting you there He does. Um, and then there are parts i had to read aloud to my kids because they were like hilarious like guys listen to this listen to what this was like (laughs) It is. Every now and then I'm like, whoa.
0: So anyway, we will finish reading that and we will get back to it. Uh, But in the meantime, as a sideline, and I can't quite remember how this happened. I don't either. (laughs) We decided to read some cozy mysteries. Yes. So, yeah. So we'll be discussing cozy mysteries this time.
1: Um, Before we get to that, um, I was slow to podcast this morning because I had to make some tea. And... I'm new to tea drinking, like, uh, most of my life I didn't like tea, and I hadn't actually tried tea, and now um, I'm, like, sitting alone in my house a lot, and it's boring, and I make all kinds of different tea all the time, but I think I'm doing it wrong. Um, sometimes I know I'm doing it wrong because I leave it all sitting on the counter and find it later cold and still drink it, <laughs> but... I, th- I think that's how you're supposed to do it, so... Yeah? Yeah. At least mine oh, is maybe cold. I'm, maybe I'm doing it right. Yeah. Um, but um, I keep putting the tea bag in the hot water and then walking away with the oh. cup with the tea bag still in it because it hasn't been long enough to s- steep. Is that the vocabulary word steep. I need? You got, steep. You got the lingo. Um, I think I read it on the box. Um, <laughs> but then later I'm somewhere and my tea bag is still in my mug, and I don't have a saucer. And then I just set tea bags onto things, and that's bad. Yeah. They're
0: nice in your composting.
1: So did you drink coffee
0: before this or have you been like a hot caffeinated beverage free individual all this time?
1: Um, I, was a, I was a diet soda person for a really long time. Um, and then I changed into a coffee person, but just sort of like plain coffee, light roast coffee with milk dumped in it. And then um, you actually can't drink cups of coffee all day. Or I can't. So I'm a cup of coffee before noon person, and then I switch to tea. And I just switch between black tea and herbal tea, depending on whether or not it is noon. I literally look at the clock when I'm choosing the tea tea bag. Okay, so I I have several comments on this. One, I think you can drink coffee
0: all day. Um, People listening to this may or may not know that uh, my husband was a naval officer, and I think the Navy runs on coffee. Um, And he still will drink... Like Italian coffee that he makes on the stovetop, like super thing, but at work he drinks coffee. But I had read that if you if your coffee was bitter, you should put like a few grains of salt in it, and this would take mm-hmm. the bitterness away. Uh, and I don't drink coffee, uh, so I had him try that out and he says it does work. so mm-hmm. uh, but he does not drink a lot of coffee at home. He drinks iced tea. Um, I do not I have never never been a coffee drinker. On occasion, I will get one of the, you know, things that purports to be coffee, but is secretly a great deal of sugar and whipped cream. Yes. Um, And that's how I drink
1: alcohol.
0: Yeah, not not to be a a downer, but I don't drink coffee. Because when I was a little girl, um, I was really badly burned by uh, coffee. Uh, My mother and mom, if you're listening, I do not blame you or harbor any resentment toward you at all. Believe me, Uh, reached behind a percolator to pick up a pen or a pencil or something, and the percolator got knocked over, and I was sitting in a high chair, and the coffee came over and uh, burned me from ah. like the waist down, and um, the coffee grounds landed on my upper thigh here, where I still have some scars, which I tell my mother will be useful for identifying the body later, to um, to bring this into the cozy mystery front. The body's easily <laughs> identifiable. You'd have to cube me into tiny pieces to make me not identifiable to this, but... I love this. I love 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 the smell of coffee, but I'm like scared of coffee percolators. So I like, won't make coffee. But I love to smell other people's coffee, and I love coffee shops for the smell of coffee. But I will never drink it. But my other question was, do you have yes. a
1: uh, um, tea strainer, Lissa? I have. Um, I have one of those little silver ones.
0: Okay, because like if I have a lot of them. Like. Once it look like little flowers and float around in your cup and stuff. And I can send you, like, lots of tea strainers if you need that. And maybe I could send you some uh, loose tea because my town has a genuine bona fide tea store that sells nothing but tea, loose leaf tea. Um, that's
1: exciting. Isn't it wonderful? <gasps> that's, that's why I started drinking tea. Because remember when we got those subscription boxes? Yeah. And they came with tea? And then I didn't want it to go to waste, so I started drinking it. <laughs> There you go. That's how I entered the pandemic was uh-huh. with these with tea in my cabinet and I just slowly worked my way through everything in my cabinet <laughs> because I just was so in need of like novelty oh, and yeah, different yeah, things yeah. and
0: excellent. Well my local tea shop can keep you supplied with maybe three hundred different kinds of loose leaf oh tea. Um, yeah. So we've got all the things.
1: That sounds exciting. And tea is perfect
0: for having with your cozy mystery.
1: Oh yes, really I big. did make tea while while listening to these um cozy mysteries because because it did seem perfect like a ceremony
0: and you've been reading lots of things besides cozy mysteries too
1: um yes okay so here's my new um cool thing you made me talk about all these books i wish i had been reading and then i put some on hold and then i just started reading there you go um it was amazing uh, so thank you, Marion, because I credit you with breaking my reading slump. <laughs> Yay. Because not only did I like look at and study and make some choices about books I wish I'd read, like I talked about them and I think all of that got into my brain and like changed how I was thinking about all of it. So thank, thank you. you. Um I read uh, I finished the roommate, which I had put down previously because it like got like kind of weird. Um it just got weirder. The people like <laughs> launched their own sex positive sex instruction website. um it was a lot a sex uh, but I wanted instruction to see how it turned website out. Oh yeah, and it was all about that. They hired actors like it oh, was my. it was a lot uh, <laughs> yeah um, but I finished it because I wanted to see what happened um and um. Then all my other books are much more tame than that one was. Um, Our friend Ashley loaned me Miss Bunkle's book by D.L. Stevenson. I have read Miss Bunkle's book. Did you love it? I I did love it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I loved it. Um, So I read it really kind of really slowly, like parceled it out to myself. Um, And it was lovely. Um, I love the idea of somebody writing a book – about their town and then having to watch everybody else read it. And it was lovely. Yeah, um, I will tell you
0: on a side, speaking of my mother, she's like yes. my team for this podcast. My mother is, yeah. is 88, 89, 80, 89, maybe this year um, and lives by herself. And because she's an old lady who lives by herself and it's a, a pandemic, she's, you know, at home all the time in her a little apartment, and she can see people coming and going to the apartments around her and to the dumpster and stuff, and it kind of reminds me of a Rear Window, yeah. kind of the thing, but she, I'm like, Mom, you need to start taking notes on who's doing what, and it's like writing itself, and I was, it's just like Miss Bunkel's book, you just write down what the people around you are doing, and it's going to write its own uh, marvelous uh, mm-hmm. book for you right there
1: and no one will know if it's satire or if you're very innocent <laughs> that's right That's right. um it was lovely um and so then i read beach read by emily henry like in the same day i did not sleep very much actually day before last and it was fabulous i had put it off because it was about writer's block and somebody had recommended it to me right around nanowrimo and i was like no 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 that's not, <laughs> not the book for me right now um but it turned out to be like a boy-next-door romance about writer's block, and that was fabulous. Um, So I actually, um, I took a screenshot of like maybe the best part ever to read to you. Let me find it, because it was um, not something that I will be incorporating into NaNoWriMo events, but man, it's good. Um, So the people are writing in their own houses, looking at each other through the windows and holding up signs to each other as they sit at their own tables writing. And they hold up a sign that says, write, the guy holds up a sign that says, write 2,000 words and then we can talk. This proved to be the key to getting anything done. We changed the goalpost. 2,000 words and we could be in the same room. 4,000 words and we could touch. Ah. I know, right? And I was like, oh, it's like a NaNoWriMo romance. Yeah. I know. It, I mean, there was a lot more to that book, but like I that like was it. definitely like the the part to bring back to a podcast about writing was <laughs> was this uh, writing goal. Um, and then I read the Big Friendship by Amitaou Sao and it was lovely um, and about friendship with um, with another person as an adult, their friendship as a memoir, and then tips sort of for friendship overall. Um, and Wintering by Katherine May. I did the audiobook on that one. And it was a little intense to be doing in a pandemic where everyone is sort of wintering. Yeah. Um, but she really explores the idea of how you, you go into a time period of change and slowing down intentionally and what you might do to get yourself through it and what it might look like on the other side and how that can be good yeah. and healthy or th- survivable at the very least.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think I would enjoy that one. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Um, if approaching a big challenge or approaching a situation by slowing down and nesting and doing it thoughtfully and trying to survive it appeals. Um, it was not a pushing through kind of book. It was a stopping and slowing down and figuring out how to do this better which kind is, of book, which is appropriate
0: for it. Now,
1: so. Yeah, very yeah. very timely. <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to buy it, and it actually was impossible to buy a physical copy. So I did the library ebook or audiobook, which was the only thing I could get.
0: My understanding, and I had noticed that a lot of books were suddenly on back order or currently unavailable or more copies coming soon and apparently there's some sort of uh, paper shortage big slowdown in the production of physical books due to pandemic um, yeah as well so suddenly like i had bought uh, reynard the fox by Anne louise avery and i bought it from blackstones in england And had them send me a signed copy because I could get that one, as well as a super cool signed copy. And I got a package from Blackwell's. Uh, But, like, you couldn't get it from Amazon because they were just... It had come out first in Britain, and then production is so slow that it just didn't exist here for extra time past its actual
1: production date. So, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, and a weird... Yeah, and I mean, certainly even past the production chain, like all of the supply chains yeah, would be all disrupted, disrupted all the and way. Either, you know,
0: it's like ripples and ripples and ripples, and you forget that it's a big pond with lots of ripples on it, and it just is right. uh,
1: filtering in some way into everything that we do, you know. Yeah, So, and I can imagine it on the... Um, library and like I have coworkers. I know who opens the boxes in receiving, like I know who uh-huh. does the cataloging and gets it to the shelf and shelves it. Yep. and so then I can imagine like if they're sick, if they're quarantining, you know like those things don't happen. Those things don't happen. Those are physical people. So imagining that all the way back up the supply chain, um, you could see how a lot of things would slow down. <laughs> yes. Oh,. Um, yeah. So also mysteries. right. Yes, I ended up
0: uh, reading two mysteries, cozy mysteries, all the way through and listening to most of a book about murder and part of another audiobook of coziness. Um, and I would be
1: happy to tell you what they are. Yeah, because I I did almost all of the same series. So tell me about your variety here.
0: Well, I started off, um, this was before Christmas. I wanted a cozy, Christmassy type thing. Uh, And I ended up picking The Christmas Egg by Mary Kelly, which is an older book written in, I think it was written in the 1970s, but it clearly takes place in the 1950s. In England and um, I got the the blurb off of Goodreads which says in a gloomy flat off Islington High Street Chief Inspector Brett Nightingale and Sergeant Beddoes find an old woman dead the princess Olga Karukin who fled from Russia at the time of the Revolution has lived in terror of being discovered ever since Olga's son grandson Ivan appears to have run from the scene, but is later seen returning to the flat as though oblivious to the terrible crime. Taking, taking place between the 22nd and 24th of December, Nightingale's inquiry takes him across London, culminating in the wrapping of the mystery on Christmas Eve. This never-before-republished novel from 1958, okay, 1958, so I was wrong on it. has a noticeably different feel to the neat puzzles and country house mysteries of crime fiction's golden age, revealing the darker side of police detection in an evocative urban setting. Uh, and it was the only one that I read that had the the policeman as mm-hmm. the main solver of things. Got it. Uh, and I had some some feels about this book, um, both positive and negative, which I will discuss shortly. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and the other one that I read was Fundraising the Dead by Sheila Connolly, because I, I have been tending to read books that are set not in America, and I so decided I would pick a cozy that was set in America because there's a jillion of them, and it's like a thing. And and also I wanted to read a modern one because most of the ones I've been reading are historically set. Uh, So Fundraising the Dead by Sheila Connolly. At the Society for the Preservation of Philadelphia Antiquities, fundraiser Eleanor Nell Pratt solicits donations and sometimes solves crimes. When a collection of George Washington's letters is lost on the same day that an archivist is found dead, it seems strange that the society president isn't pushing for an investigation. Nell goes digging herself and soon uncovers a long, rich history of crime.
1: Ooh.
0: And I listened to, uh, and it returned itself to the library, uh, So I, but I have the paper copy in, uh, The Art of the English Murder by Lucy Worsley. Uh, Lucy Worsley is a, I guess I would call her a pop culture historian. She's the type of personable historian who makes documentaries about... Mm-hmm stuff and this is kind of it's an interesting book (laughs) um and i enjoyed the audio of it but it's kind of a history of murder in england and talks about lots of real crimes that happened in great detail um oh uh and how the public reacted to those famous crimes and the point that I've reached, we've reached up to like Agatha Christie in the golden age of mystery. And so I'm most of the way through the book and it's still kind of talking about how changes in forensic technique are changing things and the rise of the English murder mystery story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as compared to the state of actual murder, how people are murdering each other, why people are murdering each other, Uh, what the police are doing about the fact that people are murdering each other. So it's kind of an interesting historical counterpoint to these. And then I listened to part of The Inspector and Mrs. Jeffries by Emily Brightwell as housekeeper to Scotland Yard Inspector Witherspoon, Mrs. Jeffries supervises informal investigators. Um, Coachman Smith, Maid Betsy, Footman Wiggins, Arthritic Cook, Mrs. Goodge, and more. And... The inspector, it's a Victorian-set one. I told you I've been reading lots of historicals. And the inspector is, he's kind of an idiot. (laughs) Hmm. Mrs. Jeffries is the widow of a policeman, and she is his housekeeper, and she is the real brains behind the operation. And she kind of pushes him in the correct direction without him noticing so that he can, you know, uh, solve things. But in fact, he... He wouldn't have a clue if if, ha, 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 if Mrs. Jeffries did not steer him in the right direction. And it was what I heard of it was um, really charming and structurally kind of interesting. How do you and this is one of the big questions I have about cozies is you have often an investigator who's not police. So how do you let them have access to the crime scene, the clues, the people and so forth without that thing? So what have you been reading, Lisa?
1: Um, I read a bunch of Daisy Dalrymple mysteries and by read, I mean, listened to the audiobooks. Um, and they were lovely and I had not really read very much stuff like that. Um, and so I, I listened to these with an eye toward how do you put together a cozy mystery and how do you keep people interested and how do you do the red herrings and the reveals and the um so that part was really interesting too but then I, of course I was captivated by Daisy Dalrymple because she was like a really interesting character so she charming. um she's charming yeah she's charming and it, they're set between World War One and World War Two, which is a time period that I've been reading more from lately um and so I listened to um Death at Winterwater Court, which is the first one, and then The Winter Garden Mystery, which is the second one, and I'm partway through Murder on the Flying Scotsman. Um, I'm past the murder, but I'm not to the solving bit yet. Okay. Um, and I will say which
0: I, that I have read all three of these books. These are the Corolla Dunn books, and I was reading all of the Daisy Dalrymple books in order, and I think Murder on a Flying Scotsman was as far as I got. It was the last one I reached. Um, I had read one with the... Uh, Opera, Death of a Mezzo, or something like that, as well. So maybe I read one past this. I don't know. Um,
1: I have the fourth one checked out, but I've got to, you know, listen to the third one all the way through to see who did it. Um, And then I thought, oh, I like cozy mysteries. I'm a cozy mystery listener right now. So I checked out this other one called Pies and Prejudice by Ellery Adams. And it seemed to me like that would be great for me because that is clearly a takeoff on Pride and Prejudice in the title with a funny pun about, you know, baked goods This seemed all good. Um, And I listened through the first two hours maybe hour and a half of the audiobook um, which turned out to just be the opening setup like somebody (sighs) um, you know um, walked in on her spouse uh, having an affair uh, left went home we reestablished her at home and her relationship with her hometown and her relationship with her family we introduced ourselves to a lot of characters Mm -hmm. and sort of set her up to maybe open a pie shop and and I'm not yet to the part where anyone is murdered. So that has been interesting because as I'm listening, I'm like, well, who's gonna get murdered?
0: It's gotta be somebody. <laughs> of a, of is all it,
1: these people that I'm learning to you know, try to care about, I'm learning like one of them will get c- killed and I'm not sure who yet, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna care, and I'm not sure if I care who did it, and that's where I've stopped. Is it uh, the first in a series? Yes. Is it modern American set? Yes. Okay. And I think that's part of my disinterest in it. Um, And uh, quite honestly, if we're talking about mothers, this lady's mother has an estranged relationship with her, which was also true in my life, and that part turns me off a lot. So I think this is just not a book for me. Could be. And it's interesting
0: to me that we both read and enjoyed a couple of kind of historically set English mysteries. Uh And like I had read Fundraising the Dead. And is there anything wrong with that book? No. Was it my favorite to listen to or read? No. Um, It's the first in a series and has to do a lot of... The first in a series always has to do a lot of heavy lifting, you know, like where we are and how things are. But it was a book, another thing with not enough dead people. Um, There is a dead person relatively near the beginning, but it's not clear to anyone that it's a murder and the police don't treat it as a murder and it doesn't occur to the main character that it really is a murder murder until like the end of the book and really things have more to do with how museums run um, (laughs) which I should love because I came from the museum business right but I was like boring Um, and it covered the same territory a lot of conversations between people where they would reiterate the same information again remind you of what our themes are and what we're interested in here Uh, and I was like okay we already had this conversation with six other people we don't need it again so there wasn't anything wrong with it but I felt like it wasn't the book for me either and I would much rather have been reading a Corolla Dunn yeah great Daisy yeah
1: Um, so then in order to find out like what was happening that so captivated me I checked out this um, sort of random ebook called how to outline a cozy mystery by Sarah Rosette Um, And, like, there was nothing wrong with it. It was a short ebook. It read like a long web article. Um, It mostly was almost like a workbook in that it asked good questions of, like, what you would need to be asking yourself to set up and outline a cozy mystery Um, and what you would need to think through. I really enjoyed those parts of it. Um, It did frequently make recommendations to her longer product or course available for sale, which I just ignored. Um, But I liked the the questions. that it asked because it made me a more critical reader when I went back to listen to my next Daisy Dalrymple mystery of like, oh, well, I see what's happening there, maybe. Or maybe I'm wrong because it's being well done and I'm not sure. Um, and then I'm so new to reading mysteries and cozy mysteries that I read the TVTropes.com article on cozy ah! mysteries because I, I love that website because it like very gently and in a fun way explains, you know, sort of like the the fandom of the References that people make at that meta level about these stories, like, oh, I've seen that other places, you know, and it points out what the tropes are. So if you haven't read a million, uh, you can kind of get up to speed. I'm gonna go and read that
0: as soon as we finish. It's it. fun. So, and I think I read that ebook, How to Outline a Cozy Mystery, when I was writing my NaNoWriMo mystery novel, which I oh, think yeah. was 2019, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it's 2019. I think so. There was also, that the... And, uh, you know, I had won this gift card to my local independent bookstore, and I decided in the end, as well as the Beowulf copy that I bought, that I should buy some craft books. So I bought another slim volume called Writing the Cozy Mystery by Nancy J. Cohen, but it has only arrived in the last couple of days. Um, So I have not looked at it yet, but I think it's going to be similar to that, like, do this, do that, here's how you structure, when should you have dead people, how many dead people should there be, which is totally useful. Uh, yeah, to me. So, I will look forward to being instructed some more. Um, well, tell
1: about me about your other cozy mysteries that you read and whether you liked them or not. Um, well, it was
0: it was interesting. Um, the Christmas Egg starts off with the Princess Olga Karukin dead, and and I loved the opening where she's dead in this room. Uh, and it is it was interesting to me on a number of fronts. I liked it, and also because of its age and because it is a very particular book to its setting mm-hmm. i was confused on occasion uh, because there's a lot of it's written in i don't want to say hard-boiled, but much more hardboiled than than the others uh, and, and that kind of there would be gaps in it and things that i didn't understand and they're referencing things that that i wasn't seeing on occasion so that slowed me down a little bit but did not impact whether or not I liked the book or not there wasn't a lot of mystery to it um, in that we know who did it right away and the only real mystery is like who can you trust and who can you not trust who's telling you the truth and who's not telling you the truth um, and how does this all tie into another case that Chief Inspector Brett Nightingale and Sergeant Beddoes are running and that was all fine but there was something about this book that disturbed me <laughs> And that okay. is, and uh, that is, and again, it's probably just because apparently 1958 is when this was written, and time has passed. So Chief Inspector Brett Nightingale is a very nice guy, and he is married, and he and his wife both both love opera and stuff like that. But this case takes him to a dealer in antique art and jewelry who may or may not be wrapped up in this and the shop that these people have and in the shop there is a shop girl and brett nightingale when he thinks about her thinks about how beautiful she is and talks about like the back of her neck and mm-hmm. and uh, how the clothes she's wearing accentuate parts of her body uh, which i didn't feel like he should be doing that because he's a married man then this shop girl like comes to his house to mm-hmm. drop off a glove that he had lost and he like invites her in and makes her tea and continues to think about this and whether or not she is you know propositioning him more or less and every time you see this girl all the way through this book she's like this sexy thing that he may or may not be interested in or that he's viewing strictly as a sexual object instead of as like a person and her whole personality is She's like the ingenue, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's her job to wear sweaters and not be very smart and to be breathlessly panting with terror periodically. And that whole scenario really upset me because I thought that it did not show his character to advantage that like the only female character we meet in the whole book um, is this. She belonged on the cover of a pulp book, you know, with heaving bosoms and uh, cross legs on her boss's desk type of scenario. And I just, I didn't not like that um, very much. Um, but it, it was, I liked the setting and it was f- nice at parts and stuff like that. And But weirdly, neither one of the mysteries that I read for this had much of a mystery to it because the Christmas egg, so we know who did it. We just had to figure out why and and what the, the uh, particulars are. And I didn't think it ends with the discovery, of this Fabergé egg, which I didn't think was much of a surprise, since the name of it is the Christmas egg and it's full of Russian jewelry. <laughs> I'm like, hello? Um, <laughs> I kissed that part a long time ago. Always deliver on the reader's expectations. <laughs> there was a Christmas egg in it, yes. Right at the very Especially end. Especially if of- you've put them on the cover. <laughs> and oh, I said, fundraising to dead. I enjoyed it, but it seemed repetitious to me. And again, there wasn't as much mystery in it as, say, like the books, like um, The Death at Wentworth Court has a real, you know, bludgeoned body, small country house group of people who could have done it, who all Mm -hmm. have reasons why they might have. Uh, And I tend to like those more puzzly ones more. Yeah. So... Um, of the ones that yeah. you've read, what was your favorite?
1: Um, hmm. I think I liked the Winter Garden mystery. Mm, I, I mean, I liked both of the of the two Daisy Dalrymples that I finished. And I'm liking Murder on the Flying Scotsman so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I have discussed its finer plot points so far with my four-year-old niece, actually. <laughs> um, because... Because she showed me a feather that she found, and we talked uh, about how that was in Aunt Lissa's book she was reading. That's right. That's right. Um, it's feathers are important in that book. I did not mention to the four year old that I was reading a murder mystery <laughs> at all. I just said, There's a missing pillow. It's so interesting. Um, it's always good to get kids thinking about clues. That's right. um, I think I've liked all of them so far. Um, I mean, I would say that they're pretty comparable. Um, and reading books in the same series has got me thinking about. I think so often cozy mysteries end up in a series and how hard it would be to to keep putting a non-professional in, you know, this falling over bodies kind of situation where they keep having things to investigate.
0: And I I think by Murder on a Flying Scotsman, the, the handsome potential love interest Scotland Yard inspector is mentioning to Daisy, like, everywhere you go, you're tripping over dead people, you know? Yeah. This is getting to be a habit with you, uh, which is, but that's an interesting If you're plotting, regardless of, of setting and time and so forth, this series of murders or, you know, series of books, if you want to write 15 of them, right? how do you get your protagonists to continue to stumble over dead bodies all the time?
1: Right. And in what scenario mm-hmm. is that possible before you start living in murder capital, USA, there you go. I, you know, I, have loved the Midsummer
0: Murders, Midsummer Murders on uh, television, the PBS mystery series, But mm-hmm. like twenty years, and I've, I was watching them in order until they removed from Netflix. Wow, like, ah. so I made it through like eleven seasons. But my husband would come home and he's like, "Man, let's never move to Midsummer because everybody there is either a victim or a murderer. Everybody, and, and those take place in a series of." little English towns. Um, and he was like, don't ever join a class with Inspector Barnaby's wife because every every hobby she takes up, every group she joins, <laughs> every trip she goes on, every, you know, thing she gets involved with, there's always a dead person or two or three lounging around the place.
1: Oh.
0: So we have to yeah. suspend disbelief. Definitely that, a uh, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and, uh, so, so you
1: have written a draft of a
0: I of have. a mystery novel. I was have. it a cosy
1: mystery?
0: It it is and actually it's my two writing goals for this year. One is to finish revisions on my big adult fantasy that I'm writing, and the other one is to start or, and or complete rewrite, redraft my murder mystery, which was called Murder in Old English, and is a cozy mystery that takes place in nineteen twenties, England. Uh, and It was super interesting for me to write it because as we know, I'm not that much of a planner and I never know who the bad guy is, like who is the antagonist in any books. And I kind of felt going into writing a mystery that it was important to know that stuff. And I tried really hard, Lissa, so hard to be organized and, and you know, I'm a fail, but I ended up with all these charts and tables of like what the clues might be and who would know them and when they were going to reveal what they knew and what are the red herrings and how to bury important information in a way that people might not notice it. You just skim right past it and then I can spring it on you later. Um, And I really enjoyed it. It was like a puzzle to build and I liked my character. And interestingly, I could see how she could be... Uh, arriving at a lot of different mysteries. And it also has a potential love interest Scotland Yard inspector in it. So I'm kind of looking forward to, to getting back to that, taking a shot at, see how it goes. And uh, I like the mystery. I like the character. I, I've After I drafted, I could see how I could do some things better and more inclusively, because one thing that I have seen in these cozy mysteries is that everybody's white. Uh, like relentlessly, mm-hmm. and I think that we can do better than that in a realistic, reasonable fashion, um, and have people be a little bit more, a um, little bit more diverse, and and I think more interesting, um, and not just your suspects, and not just my suspects, right, right. Because this, I will say that the murder on a Flying Scotsman has. Oh, what is the doctor? Is he? He's from India. Is he Indian? I was mm-hmm. like, I, th- I couldn't remember whether he was Indian or Bangladeshi or or what. But yes. So they only have an English, an Indian doctor on there who is a suspect from time to time in a book, and I won't tell you who did it, um, and why. But so Good, I was pretty, cause I'm going to finish that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I liked that one. Um, it had. Some people moving around in it that was spatially confusing to me for a little bit, but I figured it out. Um, so, yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. So I will I will probably look up how to outline a cozy mystery, and I will read my my new two new books on writing mysteries that I got.
1: Um, do you think that you would ever consider writing
0: a mystery, cozy or otherwise, Lisa?
1: I mean, I've been thinking about it. Um, so one of the things I liked about about cozy mysteries was like the logic, the order, the reason it was less scary. I mean, they're not really suspenseful per se, Um, but also just the underlying everything is, is generally not a sociopath is doing unexplainable bad things for evil, scary reasons that are unpredictable. But instead it was like this thing happened. Let's try to sort out why. (laughs) Um, So I like the part where it's um, trying to figure out, Not like who might get killed next necessarily, usually, I think, but more like who might have been harboring a secret or who might have, you know, acted out of passion or who might have made a mistake and then covered it up because of guilt or, um, you know, those kind of things make it, I think, easier for me to read. But then also would I feel like it would be really interesting to write about all of that guts kind of, you know, kind of (laughs) stuff. Yeah. May, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, one thing
0: I, one thing I understand, I think, of or have learned about cozy mystery writing in particular but others is, like, if you're writing a romance, the reader has an expectation that the people will have, you know, happily ever after, or at least a happily for now. Right. Ending. You cannot have a romance where the people uh, break up in a, mire of recriminations and hateful words and leave each other and argue over who gets the dog you know Um, that's not how romances work in mysteries you don't have to have a a punishment at the end but you have to have justice Mm -hmm. so that you do not have to have the the murderer hauled off in shackles but you do have to have justice uh, and solution you have to figure out the mystery you have to have um, people getting their just desserts or or rewards, for that matter. Um, you know, the, the, the good people of the world end up better and the bad people of the world end up worse. And it's a nice, neat little package in a world where that doesn't happen to have a little world where it does. I think.
1: Yeah. Another part I really like about at least the ones I've read so far and the kind of the what I've been thinking about and what I've been reading about is that you spend... At the beginning of the book, um, you know, meeting a lot of characters who all have relationships with each other. And of course, then hence possible motives. Um, but then also, you find out ways in which all of those characters are potentially both good and bad. Like you see a lot of dirty laundry in Cozy yeah. Mysteries. Yeah. And then it's really just sorting through, not judging each person. Is it like, are they capable of? of bad things, or are they completely 100% innocent all the time, but just like, okay, I see that they're complex and could have done it, but did they do it this time? Yeah, yeah, and that um, is, that kind of
0: slow unraveling of the motives of all these people, or, or, or the, the deficiencies in their character, or the mistakes that they have made, whether they regret them or not, is super fascinating. Yeah, Um, that's the part that is interesting to me. Something that was interesting to me in the Lucy Worsley book I've been listening to, um, which I said has a lot of the history of real murders that caught the public's imagination and the rise of detective stories or mystery stories or whatever in, in England, is that she kind of, talks about how the rise of mystery stories as entertainment, which is why we're reading them, sort of coincides with the fall of public execution as entertainment, of how you're know, you used to have a sensational murder in real life, and then the people would be caught, and they'd be hanged, and 120,000 people would come and watch it. And we don't do that anymore, but then suddenly there's this rise in kind of like the early melodramas and murder plays rose out of or were inspired by these true crimes that everybody knew about. And then by now, in the book where I'm getting to in the nineteen, you know, twenties and thirties, we're not having huge public hangings anymore. But mystery stories as entertainment have become the kind of one of the number one things that people read. hmm And I thought that was really interesting, and it kind of reminded me of this, This again, my mother, her theory that soccer fans riot because your emotions are stirred up by what's happening on the field, but nobody in soccer is allowed to touch anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's, it's very strange, and, and there's no outlet for our emotions, and we have to riot in the streets. Um, which, I bet she's probably right about that. She's like, they're all just silky hair, and they're running around, and then they're battling, and it's, you know, it, and then... You have to go drink a lot of whiskey and hang off lampposts and beat each other up.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering whether you need the,
0: the physical aggression, right? So maybe, and I was kind of fascinated by this. Well, maybe the kind of lack of a public outlet for the expression of of I don't know retribution against our enemies sounds kind of big, but uh, of a, a a public acknowledgement of the guilt of people. Maybe that's translating in some sort of weird way into the repackaging of that in this world where there are mysteries and 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 ill doings by people and and secrets within families and suspects writhing uh, and bubbling up and but there's some sort of justice served against people who need a good bit of justice. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's a fair theory. Yeah, yeah. trying to read through and, and, and find places in which, in which people do have justice served. Um, yeah.
0: And the other thing that she was talking about, I think it's interesting, is that when the mystery novel rose as a to become mass entertainment in a way, in the golden age, a lot of the authors and the authors that stay with us were women. I have Agatha Christie, of course, and the great Dorothy L. Sayers and Marjorie Allingham and Niall Marsh, these kind of four superstars of mystery writing, all women. And, of course, the the super, there were superstars who were are men, G.K. Chesterton and stuff like that. But people don't read G.K. Chesterton, if I could pronounce that, anymore the way they read Agatha Christie still. And I was thinking about how I think every book I read was written by a woman. And I think there might be a real. I don't read thrillers or like hard boiled ones. Like I read an Alex Grecian and I really liked it, but also it scared my pants off. Mm
1: -hmm. It's like ah, no, I couldn't read this section. I have to skip. Like I read the
0: back of one and I was like, oh, I don't
1: think I can open. (laughs) Yes,
0: he's a wonderful, wonderful writer. And then I was like freaked out by what's on the page. me, there maybe there's maybe like we're looking at just the little cozy mysteries this time, and in the spectrum of mystery, there's just like a lot of different things going on. But I'm wondering, and I don't know if this is true, and I have no basis in fact whatsoever, I have no data. I'm wondering whether there is a split in between like men writing more hard boiled or graphic content thrillers and women writing more psychological, cozy type things. Because you have like Lee Child and Pat Patterson and that crowd over there.
1: With but, the procedurals. I don't well, know if it's a split in the writing or the marketing publishing for sure.
0: Even in terms of who the author is, do you think more women write cozies and more men write that, or is it all secretly um, pseudonyms?
1: Well, that's, yeah, and I was like, maybe they're all actually the other gender. I don't know. I read uh, What was it? An
0: MC Beaton, and that's a woman, but I did not know, and I have read her Regency romances, which I enjoyed very, very much, and I didn't realize it was the same person. Right. Until I went and, like, looked her up and realized, oh, A, that's a lady type, and B, I've read her Regency romances under her different name.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I don't know whether it's more also in reading Uh that readers are more open to the cozy female cook slash hobbyist slash, you know, Daisy Dalrymple's uh, really being boundary breaking by becoming a journalist, uh, you know, writing for for magazines um, and taking photos. Um, Whether it's, more acceptable to have that kind of main character be a woman. Yeah and have the have the inspector be more the procedural. I mean because if the actual Scotland Yard detective came in, that has a different power dynamic. Um, people re- react to him differently. he does his job differently. Um, he can't just show up to like, oh, I have my camera. I'll take some pictures <laughs> oh, in that same way that uh-huh. Daisy Dalrymple can, uh, you know, and gain people's trust in that same cozy way of sitting with them and just chatting. And um, so I don't know, maybe maybe the characters are constrained within their own gender roles in the book. True. But I mean, in, but in like in modern cozies
0: too, are they like reinforcing those gender roles? Cause, like, okay, cause, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm married to Captain America here, a big, scary 40 ways to kill without leaving Mark. Loves like cozy mysteries and ice skating and, um, uh, like he loved crazy rich Asians and, mm-hmm. and, yeah, things like that because he's a secure individual who's not toxic. Right. Um, and, I don't feel like they're marketing these books to him. He's just going and getting them. But they're presuming that their predominant audience is going to be a female audience. Maybe we need to write cozy mysteries for uh, non-toxic, big scary dudes. Mm, but But he likes those books already. He does. But, so I no, think but part if, of it but is but part of reading is wanting to see yourself in the character is are they doing a disservice to him because there aren't any uh, guys who own pie shops who have a lot of friends who drop dead and the sexy Man. female cop who's assisting him
1: no but I I mean I don't think it's the authors doing the disservice I think it's the world doing the disservice yeah it is the world Because if, if a really tall white man walks into a situation, he is automatically treated differently by the actual world than a tiny, petite, older woman holding a bag of knitting.
0: But it might be kind of charming because like, how would he get the good gossip out of people? You know, that they would give to the tiny old lady with the knitting that they might not give to him because they would presume he's not interested in the local gossip that helps us solve mysteries. Yes, he does. I think it would be, with, be hard a, to write that book. It would be. And then he does come with a completely, that character would come with a completely different power dynamic, as you point out, that people would uh, give you a, a different form of respect or respect you in different um, yeah areas of, of life and disrespect you in others. Who would not expect him to have a great cookie recipe. Um, but they would expect him. They would give information when commanded to do so, perhaps
1: right yeah so how as a writer do you write characters who don't fit the mold of what you've seen in books and movies previously but that are accepted by your readers
0: yeah so it's interesting it's fascinating
1: but i am enjoying them is
0: as just it's been just the sort of of low stakes fluff that i have needed at this juncture in my life yeah yeah and i will be happy to read like a million more so as stop gaps between really totally fascinating and detailed slow reading chapters of The Splendid and the
1: Vile. Excellent I'm gonna keep plotting my cozy mystery series in my head because yes. I feel like you can't well I feel like I can't really pretend like I'm successfully outlining A cozy mystery if i haven't figured out how it could be a series because i feel like that's part of i think
0: i think a series is necessary absolutely and uh so maybe next november cozy mystery for you lissa
1: maybe if i could just successfully outline one i feel like that would be a goal to accomplish very good if there's i was going to say if there's a lot of
0: purring on the uh the audio, it's because my cat has arrived unexpectedly. Somebody has opened the door and she's rubbing all over the microphone now and purring a lot. So you get free cat content this time.
1: I can hear it clearly. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I love the free cat content. Um, Well, until next time, when we discuss The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, everyone can just listen to free cat content. There you go. Thank you for listening to the Book Evangelist podcast. Please remember to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments and, of course, your book recommendations at thebookevangelist@gmail.com. at gmail.com.